Hi, this is Marcy McNeil, producer of the Next in Ed podcast. If you have a topic you think we should discuss, or someone you think we should interview, or if you would just like to give us some feedback, you can email us at nextinedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us through Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And now, we hope you enjoy the following episode. Hi, this is Joe with the Next in Ed podcast series. This school year has been crazy for us so far, and so Julie and Marcy and I have decided that we are going to produce a new interview every other Tuesday. So, please enjoy this week's podcast, and know that a new one is coming up very soon. Hi, welcome to Next in Ed. I'm Joe. And I'm Julie. Julie, I got a question for you. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that it might be nice uh, for us to get together and, and maybe have some dinner or something with our spouses and the, the Next in Ed crew. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I sent out a text to, to the crew <laughs> about going to dinner. And you know what I got? Hang on. Let's see if I can find it real quick. <laughs> No. Oh. That's that's what I got. Crickets, huh? That's what I got. Hey, Nothing. I didn't text you back. Are you sure? Well, n- nobody <laughs> texts me back. Marcy didn't either. I, I'm a, you know, kind of hurt my feelings a little oh, bit. Oh, Joe, come on now. Well, I mean, what's the deal? Well, you know how busy it is during the season. We have to check with people. I have to say, oh, what night and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Where do you want to go? What night? Talk to my husband. Well, that's, probably, that's probably the problem right there. Don probably didn't want to have anything to do with me. No, no. He loves to talk rock and roll with you. You know okay, that. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should start like having, I don't know, virtual. Virtual dinners? Virtual dinners. Well. Is that a thing? It could be. Maybe one day. <laughs> it could be. I'll meet in a virtual restaurant with real food. Yeah, that would be the thing. There needs <laughs> to be real be food, trick. yeah. That would be the trick. So we've got to get the the smell, uh, the smell thing. Virtual smell. And there has to be, right? Ooh, so virtual that you smell. Could smell, that'd be kind of cool. Okay. But, <laughs> so. Okay. So you remember I went uh, in the fall, I got to go to a conference in Chicago. Yes. And met some amazing people mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of virtual, right? The, our guest today is someone who's uh, been delving a lot into the Oh, really? The world of virtual reality. Oh, really? So, um, very cool. He had to join us through Zoom because, as we just learned, mm-hmm. he's um, almost in Canada. He's he's so far north in uh, New oh, York. Oh, he's like completely the, opposite the state of New York. Yeah. Almost the, the whole opposite end of the country. That's right. That's exactly. But Zoom, right. the miracle of Zoom. He's yeah, like so, right yeah, in the living room with us. Well, and actually, in the, in the you know studio. What? I think this is going to be cool because yes, we're we're using Zoom to talk to him. But that's kind of part of what I think we're going to be talking about okay. today. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So okay. today we have with us uh, Dr. Tony Beatrice. And Tony, um, like I mentioned, you are in New York. So tell us a little bit about uh, your, um, your title and what university you are with. Thanks. I'm at uh, the State University of New York at Potsdam. And this is my 25th year here. So I've got the quarter century mark, although there's no official 
Acknowledgement of that. <laughs> Congratulations. You don't, a, you don't get a plaque or anything? No. Like uh, I can make one for myself. Sure. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I am uh, the assistant chair of the business administration department and the program coordinator for um, three online master's degree programs. Nice. So one is in uh, management, the master of science in management. The second is uh, educational technology. And the third is an in instructional design. Okay. So that's what I do. That's my kind of day job. Well, if you don't mind, let's uh, back up and, and tell us about your education journey. How did you get to where you are today? I started at Potsdam, actually, back in the early, early 90s. I uh, got my master's degree there and then ended up at Indiana University. Um, interestingly, the jobs, the search I had for graduate schools was uh, pre-internet. So I was like the last <laughs> pre-internet search. So I was getting books out of the library. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah. And I remember my uh, mentor professor, Dr. Alan Janiszewski, he brought me to the AECT conference in Nashville. And uh, if you've ever been to the Opryland Hotel, yes. the Opryland Hotel I've not is been, just but, yeah. ginormous. It's huge yeah. with like mazes of plants. <clears throat> and, um, needless to say, it's disorienting after a few cocktails after dinner. <laughs> uh, but that's where I met a few of the different people in the different graduate programs. And uh, Indiana had a pretty big contingent at the time. And I talked to the department chair, Tom Schwen, and some of the students and some of the faculty. And uh, that was on my short list. And the next thing you know, I applied and managed to talk my way into a graduate assistantship. And, uh, you know, because I couldn't go unless it was funded. So a couple years into that program, I went to Tom and said, hey, I need to start teaching because I want to be in academia. So he let me start the first uh, simulations and games class at Indiana University in their School of Education. So that was kind of nice. And I taught another course in uh, multimedia. So that's always kind of been my bent, the simulations and games and multimedia and emerging technologies. At the time in 95, simulations and games as an educational tool had been around for quite some time, but it was really accelerating. Um, So you're starting to see basically with the internet and the idea of connecting people through games, Mm -hmm. which is really kind of the foundation of this conversation in some ways, this idea of connecting through the internet, this is what we're doing over Zoom, had just started. So I kind of wanted to be in on it. And the place where it was happening the most was through online gaming. So that seemed like a natural place to start. That's interesting. And then from there, started a pod team in 97 and a quarter century later of teaching. <laughs> God, I think I've taught everything under the sun. But my favorite <laughs> classes to teach are emerging technology, simulations and games, some video production, some, uh, some multimedia classes. So generally speaking, media um, and how it intersects with learning environments. I think it's challenging. To, to deal with uh, emerging media because there's so many variables and it's so hard. Um, and I guess that's what's always attracted me to it is that I knew if I can figure it out, there's a dwindling group of people who, who have figured it out. So I've, I'm usually in a club of people, you know, like with this VR stuff I've done recently, there's only a small group of people who are really taking it on. Um, and I guess it makes me feel a little bit like I'm doing something that's worthwhile and when it's hard and not a lot of people have figured it out. It's a, there's a lot of tripping over yourself <laughs> when you do it though. So that's the, that's the catch. So that's kind of been the journey is, is 
going through teaching in the master's degree programs using my grad students as guinea pigs and uh, <laughs> right. seeing how things work out. Right, right. Well, it seems that you came in on the the cusp of the internet and, and saw all of that blossom. And so now with this change, you're seeing it again. That's why there's so few of you. And so soon yes. it'll be very common, I'm, I'm assuming, the things that you're talking about. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. I don't know if it'll look like we think it will look. Right, right. It'll yeah, evolve so differently, I, but we'll see. It, it will, and and you just don't know. You can't control things. But there's, boy, there's been some really good futurists. That's one of the things that I build into my emerging technologies class is uh, the philosophers and futurists. Um, so basically sci-fi authors mm -hmm. tend to sometimes be futurists. Um, even people like Philip K. Dick, you know, they write in ways that uh, Neil Stevenson, you know, see, these are some authors that have a vision for the future and they're not afraid to let it happen in the sci-fi space. So sometimes you have to look for these sort of quasi, you know, fictional, could be real kind of spaces to, right. to find what the future might look like. I think my favorite right now, sci-fi anything, is The Expanse. And I guess I like it so much because it's so science-based. They really made an effort. Yes, it's a drama. It's a, okay, I'll have to look into that. Everything. But, but the idea is that they're trying to be scientifically accurate. So it's got that same type of science fiction where there's a, a an effort to be accurate to what they think the vision is going to be. Right. So right. I've never I've never been in a place where I've had the luxury of being called a visionary. But I like to keep an eye towards visionaries. Um, <laughs> and follow that. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and going back when you were at Indiana and getting to do the, the gaming class was the first course that you ever taught. Was it, were you a gamer yourself and that got you interested in that or was it something else? Yeah, I definitely was. Um, plus, I had the keys to the lab as a tech person. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a good thing. So they had the... Uh, uh, Center for Excellence in Education on the second floor of the building, and it was all brand new computers, and they used them for, as far as I can tell, nothing. It was one of those, <laughs> oh, wow. no offense, Indiana, if anybody's listening out there, but it was rarely used. It was one of those labs that there was some sort of funding, and I'm like, I think there's a, I know what I'm going to do with this. So I gathered up probably eight or ten of us, and once or twice a week we would go in and we would play multiplayer Doom on oh, the computers yeah and then that sort of expanded into multiplayer descent which is a flight game um so basically anything that we could get like six eight ten of us playing multiplayer um and that was a very um it was i guess the word would be connective tissue it it was a bonding experience you know it was uh kind of like playing virtual laser tag together it wasn't about beating the other people it's just something to do and we would usually go out for drinks afterwards you know because hey why not it's nine o'clock we're done <laughs> you know and then you're done at a reasonable time and, and then back to studying but it was a way to kind of blow off steam for a bunch of ed tech nerds that's really interesting do you think it was was it at that time that you started getting this idea of of using the technology in that way for, for community and possibly for learning? Yeah, I guess um, that wasn't the first time though. The first time I saw it was in the corner arcade in my hometown when I was 11. <laughs> yeah, 
the old arcade. Yeah. Right? Like the back in the early 80s. Yeah. That arcades was, are in the malls and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, but the arcades in the malls are more like, hey, mom, can I have a dollar to play this game? And then you're back in the mall uh-huh. kind of thing. But arcades back in the day were, if you watch Strange Stranger Things, there's kind of a little bit of this in there. They were yeah, yeah, I like Stranger Things, yeah. <laughs> right? There were, there were places to hang out. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't always the most reputable people in those places, which is why they got a bad reputation. So I always, <laughs> I always thought that the wrong people had the clout in the arcades. And so I remember going in there as a young person, and I'm like, the people who were like the cool kids in the arcade weren't really that cool. I don't know. It just, it, it, was like it fell short. That's right? looking back, huh? You could do so much better than, and that's why when I saw Chuck E. Cheese for the first time, like that's it. That's the formula. You nailed it. Right. Like family giant arcade, spend a lot of time in their food. I'm like, okay, they, they figured it out. So the, so the mega arcade was actually had a nice 10, 15 year run. You know, this is pre-internet, right. Where the, it used to be that the most high quality games you could play were in the arcades, not in your home right. consoles. Right. Right. So there was no equivalent experience. Like if you saw Space Invaders I'm on the just Atari, thinking about Space, Space Invaders. Invaders. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so much better um, in the arcade. Absolutely. So I, I, that was sort of a nice community of people. Um, and it, I don't know. I, I guess the other thing that always connected me with other people was athletics and so I come from sort of a, an athletics background and I always had this sort of little bit of guilt in me that, yeah, that's great for me, but you can't expect athletics to bind everybody in society together. Cause just not everybody wants to go out there and beat the heck out of each other. True. You know? So now I, I, I love what I'm seeing with pickleball. I don't know if you've seen a, mm-hmm. like a, or like a emergence of pickleball in some of the uh, scenes where you're seeing these cross age groups of people from, you know, 10 to 90 playing together on the pickleball court with doubles and mixing things up. It's almost like racquetball, but instead of being in a tight little space inside a little cube, you know, with walls, you open it up and you're in an open space with other people. You can see the other people on the other courts, mix and match with them. So I I think there's a formula out there to connect people through some sort of shared activity. You guys talked about dinner, right? Right. That's an, that's an old one, but Usually dinner is not just going, eating and going home, right? Oh, it's about the socializing. Yeah, it's about the socializing. Yeah, sure. And hopefully there's some sort of activity you can do before or after, right? Like maybe it's as simple as just going to the bar 45 minutes early and having a couple of drinks before you're sat. Uh, Today we're meeting with uh, Dr. Tony Beatrice, and he is in New York. And we were about to jump into... uh, his thoughts about Zoom and where things might be going from there. So do you mind uh, talking to us about, about that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be polite when I talk about Zoom. Oh, okay. Um, I am not a fan of Zoom. Um, I think it is uh, highly functional, very stable, absolutely necessary, and completely uninspiring. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wraps it right up, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it, it is, but but I dare say that uh, I would not expect this to be the last iteration of Zoom. Right. Right. This is sort of um, not 1.0, but it's 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 early. Yes, we have breakout rooms. There's some interactive polling. There's some reactions you can do, but uh, it is uh, it's what we have, 
right? It, like, I, I think people have, especially ed techs, instructional designers and ed techs, have figured out how to make things work with the limitations that are there. In some ways, that's why you kind of have to have an artistic eye to be an instructional designer or work in ed tech, because I think the whole idea with art is to have restrictions and then to do something special, even in the face of those restrictions. So I think Zoom, you, I think the best people who use it, like we're using it now, this is a pretty creative, inspiring way to use Zoom, but it's not because of Zoom. It's sort of, right. you know, it's a tool. we're working with what we yeah. have. Yeah. Right. So that that's my, that's my thought on Zoom is, uh, I'm a little impatient with it um, because I know there's so much more out there. So in my classes, I've kind of gone beyond Zoom a little bit and uh, tried to work in some spaces where we can connect um, and, and in a little bit more profound, deep way. Uh, I would I have to say this. If you could do one thing for Zoom in the next iteration, it would be figure out how to do crosstalk. Like that would be the number one thing because uh-uh. that's a natural thing we do when we talk in person. And you guys have the luxury of doing that in the same room there. Yes. And I'm right. just thinking we, we've talked before about how difficult it is when we interview on Zoom to not have that kind of reaction. To have the cross talk. Yeah. Yeah. Like right there. It's your right instinct there. Too. <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 and it's not because of the delay. I have to, from a technological point of view, um, you know, the delay is very minimal, even though, you know, we're half a country apart. So that's not really it. It's, it's more of, uh, the, the tech, right? Like how many channels of communication are existing at the same time? You think in terms of like Photoshop layers, like this would be like Photoshop with no layers. Right. <laughs> that's what Zoom right. is to me. Right? Well, I, also I would think it's social norms too. I mean, you know, there's, there's a thing when you're sitting with people at a dinner table and everybody's talking, um, but then you have somebody half half a way across the country, so we're like politely waiting, or you're just waiting for someone to stop. And so I think there's a lot of social norms to develop on Zoom. Yeah, and they do things like they raise their hand, like I just did. Yes, there right? it is. Right, and I always think that's the saddest <laughs> moment in any Zoom call. <laughs> right, because you're I feel right. like it's the little kid at the table. You feel like a five year old who wants to talk, but nobody's listening to them, and they're like. <laughs> this is true. Right? It's true. It's, it's true. But it's necessary. You know, you, you can't, I mean, what else do you have? And you have so 50 people on the zoom and they don't even see it. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's okay. We use it. Right. Um, but to be honest in our online programs, we have asynchronous online courses and then we have combined online courses and our combined online is like half synchronous, half asynchronous. And so within that half that is synchronous, roughly half of that is Zoom. And then the other half we try to do with other technologies. And Teams is no better. You know, GoToMeeting is no better. Yeah. Like they're all the same at a certain point. But that's why we're experimenting with some uh, some virtual reality tools where you can be in the same space, present with them in the same space. And some of the affordances of the real conversation in, in the f- same physical space are mapped into those virtual spaces. So I, it's not that I'm married to virtual reality. I just see there's qualities of the virtual reality that don't exist in the other synchronous um, conferencing t- tools. Well, I remember w- when I had the chance to meet you in Chicago, we 
we went to uh, your suite and you had a, a bunch of things set up and, and you showed me one of the spaces where I think it was your students were giving presentations and they were able to put things into the different rooms and uh, it was it was really neat um, and and I guess they helped create that space is that is that accurate yeah yeah basically we use this headset the quest 2 right so everybody gets in on the headset they get their gear on and then they stand up in the space and they're kind of like so at this room here I set it up deliberately so that this is my virtual reality space I just kick this to the side like that and then this whole space becomes my VR space. So our listeners, he's spinning in his open wide living room. <laughs> yes. See, with his den, VR. I like to call it. Den. So that's, so as, as fast as I can put the headset on and kick my chair to the side, that becomes my virtual reality space. And then I tell the students they have to uh, find a space that's the big thing is it needs to be private. You don't want people walking in and out of that space because you could hurt somebody with right. your movements, you know, yourself or them. So um, there's a lot of things you need to do in the setup. And I've even had to purchase a headset for one of my students last time I taught the class just because it was even at $300, it was cost pro- prohibitive. Mm-hmm. But when everybody has it, then we can all put the gear on and go into that space. Um, so, yes, this was the... Uh, I can tell you the story about it a little bit if you want. I think it's worth hearing. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Yeah, please. Um, of how we came to create that conference space that you saw in Chicago. Um, it was uh, part of the Emerging Learning Technologies class where we were looking at various types of virtual reality, conference meeting, um, productivity office type of things, like things that could mirror, like what do remote teams do um, to enhance how they work on things. So for example, um, there's some biologists who collaborated in virtual reality to come up with solutions for um, COVID vaccines. So they were playing around in virtual reality with the molecules and looking for receptor sites. And they were doing it in a shared space in virtual reality with a giant three-dimensional version of COVID in front of them so they could actually see how things might move in and around that space. So there's amazing videos on YouTube if you ever search like um, VR and uh, vac- and COVID vaccine and how wow. it was developed. Yeah, that so that's one example fascinating. of re- remote productivity. So we knew that there were some teams out there that were using virtual reality as part of what they did. So we wanted to explore that a little bit. And in our exploration, we came across a, a relatively new conference that's uh, was co-sponsored by uh, UPenn and Dartmouth called Beyond Zoom. Um, and it's kind of the future of XR technologies. XR being a, a general term for extended reality, it could okay. be augmented reality, virtual reality, hyper reality. There's a lot of terms for it. So it's kind of a catch-all term. So we saw that there happened to be a conference in the middle of the semester, like in March, you know, of the spring semester. So we're like, hey, why don't we put in to, you know, do some presentation about what we've been doing. And we kind of looked around and was like, we haven't been doing anything that's that fascinating. But then we looked at each other and said, yeah, we have. We've been really socializing. That's what we've, that was the focus is to connect with each other. Like I mentioned with the whole doom in the, in the lab kind of thing. We had been creating, we were bowling together. We had done some like bow and arrow type things and some chase type things. Then some just hanging around, having conversation type things. Um, so we'd kind of done all that stuff. 
And all of the kids were like, this is a really profound connection for us, especially during COVID when they couldn't, we couldn't meet in a real classroom. So we said, well, I think that experience is one that maybe we could translate to the conference attendees. So we approached the conference and said, you know, rather than put it in a traditional conference presentation proposal, um, maybe you could work with us and we could create a happy hour, a social hour, turned into a social hour and a half, <laughs> you know, which is what kind That's of what positive. we wanted. Yeah. And, and, and then we got uh, the folks who made Glue, this platform, um, a VR platform, they helped us and gave us their premier conference space and gave it to us for free. So wow. for all of our attendees, so, you know, kudos to Glue for helping us out on that one. They were really focused on a corporate market and they had no entree into an academic market. They, they knew they wanted to do it eventually. So in some ways, this was like a little mini test kitchen for them. Mm-hmm. We, uh, once we got the conference space, then we could import objects into that space and then we gamified it. So I took my background that I've had teaching simulations and games and created a game in virtual reality and we called it social bingo. So the idea is you would have a card with 24 squares on it and each of the things would be like, find somebody who has read the same book as you or, you know, usually it was something to do with culture, some Mm -hmm. sort of cultural thing or somebody who has uh, um, driven the uh, Atlantic coast from North Carolina to Georgia or something like that. Just silly little things that might be ways of connecting. All they were was excuses for you to go up to another avatar in virtual reality and start having a conversation. Right. A little icebreaker. So goal, it was icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was the classic icebreaker mm-hmm. in virtual reality. Right. Uh, and we had breakout rooms with different spaces they could go to. And it was a smash hit success in the, for the conference. Um, and the, what I like most about Glue is if you didn't have VR, there's a desktop version of it. So it's accessible. Now it's not as accessible as Mozilla Hubs. And we did have another session of Mozilla Hubs that went quite well. Mozilla Hubs is very good for like doing presentations of like student work and it's free and it's easy and it's super accessible and it's not nearly as connecting because of the avatars and glue. The avatars and glue, if you don't mind me going down, it's just a little tiny side path are um, there's some things in there that I haven't seen in any other spaces. They'll be coming to other spaces, but they do things like I'm going to hold my eyes on the camera here for a while and I'm just going to keep holding them there. And there's a certain point where you're like, will you just take your eyes off of the camera? It's creepy. Right? <laughs> and I just did. And I, I sort of flick my eyes back and I, and I put them back on there. And e- even in normal conversation, if, if somebody holds their gaze on you and doesn't let go, that's almost assaulting. Right. But with these avatars, what they were finding is they would just be staring at you, even though the person in real life might be moving their head, their eyes just stayed locked on you. So they came up with these algorithms that mirrored what our eyes do in real life based on head movement. So they basically came up with a field of vision that if you're stayed within a certain field of vision, your eyes stayed more or less on the person you were talking to, but would flick over to different parts of the room based on spatial audio that might be coming from a different part of the environment. So it was very natural. And then if your head actually moved outside of that zone, then the eyes would fully move outside of that zone and the head would move outside of that zone. So they came up with very natural algorithms. And then there was some um, spatial or there was some facial expressions mapped to 
your voice. They didn't get to the point where the VR headset itself was reading the muscles in your face, but that's technology that's coming on now so that we could actually be able to read. So when you smile, if you smile, you can feel this part of your cheek for a second, right? Mm -hmm. That's a bad smile. But the muscles (laughs) tense here to to pull your, your lips up, and then that can be sensed and then translated into the avatar in virtual space. So your natural, um, you know, emotions can then come through with the avatar. They came up with some sort of parlor tricks to kind of get around that because the quest doesn't have that built into it. There's no sensor like that, but they can use like certain voice, certain words with certain intonations, and then they can try to mirror that. And so it felt very like you were talking and we made virtual versions of ourselves which I showed you, right? Like the virtual me. And yeah, it was really, I mean, I hate to go down the, like a long side, side sort of path there. But when we connected in that space, my students came to me afterwards and they said, that was amazing. That was their reaction was like, this was not zoom. This wasn't even just virtual reality. Right. This is some next gen thing that we were exposed to with a really new company with so my guess is glue the software they're using will be in all of these um, virtual conference vr spaces before too long interesting standard we were talking about where is it going right right these are the types of things that i think will become standard so when you connect in that way and then you go back to zoom you don't want to do that it's a little bit deflating right 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 right? so that's kind of you know but at the same time not bad, not bad. It's right. okay. It's kind of like watching black and white TV when we were kids. It's like it's still the same show. Well, <laughs> that's a good an- that's color. a good analogy because we were discussing this before the show, and I was I was just pushing back a little bit and saying, well, you know, this is great, but um, is it necessary? You know, so no, it's, so. it's exactly the same thing that happens when I talk to my father in law about right. do you need Dolby surround sound to watch a movie? No, but it's better. <laughs> he's like i can't tell the difference i'm like oh well well it's not that you can tell the difference you have a better experience right right so that's really what it's about so there is a there's a field of study called experience design and uh i'm not i don't claim to be a scholar in that space but i definitely have 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 had an eye towards experiences in education that are meaningful and lasting and uh that's sort of if you think like, why am I doing VR? It's that I, I figured out how to do it live in a classroom for 23 years. Right. And then we moved online and I'm like, baby in the bathwater. <laughs> right? it, it was a baby in the bathwater situation, right? right? Where I'm like, oh crap, we went online, but we lost this connection. Yeah. And a lot of different people have figured out different solutions for this. Like Florence Martin's done some amazing work on how to stay connected. Um, there's some really good people doing some really good things, but I wanted to do something that was, I don't know. I, I knew from my gaming experience, there was more to it. And I also knew there was the gamers stayed connected because I'm also the director of our esports program here at Potsdam. So I know there's they connect through Discord and the Discord server with headsets on. And so they're in the game space and they have avatars in the game space and they're interacting via audio and it definitely allows crosstalk. So it's a very mm-hmm. natural way of communicating. So I'm like, I know gamers are doing this already. So that's another thing we'll be doing in our spring emerging learning technologies classes. We won't just be leaning on VR. So when I talked about like 
half asynchronous, half synchronous of that synchronous, some will be Zoom, some will be VR, and some will be just straight in Discord, right? Like we'll be operating in virtual spaces, but we won't be doing it through a VR headset. We'll just be doing it through some sort of, uh, probably a gaming platform that we choose, maybe Minecraft, um, maybe Roblox, um, but there's a number of platforms out there that there's some really good educational things happening. We could basically every week we meet somewhere new. That's that's what that's, that's great. great. And and I, you know I, I like that we're getting to watch this um, advance rather quickly. And I guess that's one you want to call it a benefit of of the pandemic was it it really forced all of this technology kind of to the forefront and. You know, like you said, it, it was nice to have Zoom just so that we could continue doing what we were doing, albeit, you know, one layer of Photoshop. But thinking about now, we're at this new point much faster than we probably would have been otherwise, where we're uh, exploring these new spaces, like you just said. Yeah, I think so. I think there's also a little bit of a bad taste some people have in their mouth from their online COVID experience. I don't know if Zoom, you know, is, is one of the spices in that bad to be associated with it because mm-hmm. they're online yeah, so much and school is yeah, online. They just, it just didn't work for them. Yeah. Right? A lot of a lot of people like I think our, people like in our field that are sort of in the, with that technology bent adapted pretty well. But I, I can't say that everybody in academia adjusted and they just got by. And uh, I, I think that bad taste will go out. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll leave them, but it, it'll linger for a while. And when they have opinions on what online learning is, and even some students with their first experience with online learning, if that was it, it may not have been the best online learning right. experience. Right. So it kind of, yes, it accelerated things for the people who did it well, but I don't know if it did it for everybody. Well, it will be exciting to see what happens. That's right. And um, just one last thing, is there any, as we wrap up, is there anything uh, you'd like to leave for our listeners as your last thoughts? That's a good question. Um, Christmas is coming. Get the VR headsets. Christmas is coming. I'm telling you, I was sitting here thinking, why didn't I buy a VR headset for my family this year? Um, (laughs) I, I guess I will say this. I didn't mention anything about this, and I don't want to leave it a negative note, but I do want to acknowledge that sometimes virtual reality can make you queasy. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. But the new virtual reality runs at 90 frames a second or 120 frames a second. It takes away almost all of that old school VR nauseousness, but not to say it isn't there. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to share, I'll share a quick final story about my brother-in-law. <laughs> who goes into virtual reality with me and he's part of he works at Ithaca College uh, Dr. Ed Schneider and uh, he's a hero in some ways because he was really not taking the virtual reality very well but we set up and every Tuesday night we would get together with a VR group and we would you know just socialize and hang out together we played a game called the forest in virtual reality and uh, it was pretty amazing it was like basically being on it, it was playing the the, uh, the TV show lost essentially Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. But poor Ed, he uh, he got sick and he actually, you know, got to the point where he had to vomit and he came back in the game afterwards. That's why I call him a hero. I'm like, Amazing. But the, I bring it up not to scare people, but to say it's about a year later and Ed um, doesn't get sick anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. He's adjusting. So it, it's, it's much like a, a deep sea fisherman mm-hmm. who might you know, they be seasick when they first go out 
um, your brain actually will rewire and uh, you'll you'll become accustomed to That's it. That's true. And uh, so that was kind of a success story. So there, I guess I'll leave you with, yeah, Christmas is coming. And yeah, this is really cool. And <laughs> I would just hate for people to have their first experience be something like, oh, my God, I couldn't possibly do this. I'll just be sick all the time. Um, just do it in small doses, you know, like 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time. Um, and I would really encourage you to look at some of the educational applications that are out there, uh, especially the Anne Frank House and virtual reality is amazing. There's deep sea stuff. There's the International Space Station is fully mapped in virtual reality. You can explore the space station. So uh, definitely there's some great things. As far as this in schools though, you can't use the Quest in schools yet because there are no uh, institutional accounts. If you're looking to use virtual reality in schools, you're gonna have to find a different vendor. And currently I think the cheapest, best option is the uh, HTC Vive Focus which is about double the price of the Quest, but doesn't you can have institutional accounts and students don't have to have their own meta accounts. So that's what I'll leave you with is uh, there's a lot of relatively inexpensive, accessible VR out there. Um, and if you're in this space where you're trying to connect with people, um, I would say there's some really meaningful connections waiting for you in virtual reality. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad we got to connect online. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Not very so bad. Not so bad. Very nice to Next meet you. Next time we do this, we're doing it in VR. Yes. Deal. Yes, that would be great. Deal. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. And deal. We'll have to figure out how we can do that. I'll have to practice because I'll I be the one to, to get sick. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tony, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really yes. appreciate it. So appreciate nice to meet time you. time and um, hope you have uh, wonderful holidays. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It was fun. All right. Thank okay. you. And thank those of you for watching and listening. And be sure to catch us next time as Julie and I continue to explore what's, what's next, next in it. Don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast so others can find us. The Next in Ed podcast is brought to you by the Mobile County Public Schools IT Department in partnership with the Department of Counseling and Instructional Sciences at the University of South Alabama. Engineered by Tim VP Media Production. Music by Justin Matthews. Hosted by Dr. Joe Gaston and Julie Neidhart. Follow us on Twitter at NextInEd and on Facebook. Guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only. They are not necessarily acting as official representatives for their schools, universities, organizations, or places of employment. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.